most of the time, when someone talks about their purpose, it's usually tied to a way to make money. And while earning a living is important, I believe it's safe to assume that we were created for so much more than chasing a buck. In this episode, I talk with Tom, an entrepreneur that retired in his early 30s only to sink into depression until he realized his true purpose. Welcome to Forbidden Fruit Podcast, where each episode will awaken you to the knowledge of a better you through insightful discussions and shared experiences that instantaneously changed our lives. Don't forget to follow or subscribe, leave a review, as well as turn on your notifications so you'll know when new episodes are available. Be sure to listen to the end so you don't miss how Tom went from tragedy to triumph to depression to ultimately finding his true purpose. All right, Tom, welcome, welcome. Thank you for, for sitting with me. Thanks for having me, Nick. Anytime. So, so I, I wanted to talk to you because I feel like you have a story that's extremely unique that people need to hear. And so what I wanted to do is have you come in and tell your story. So you, you mentioned to me when I first met you, you talked about how you're, you, had, you have a daughter. So you have three kids. Four. Four kids. When I met you, you had three. Yep. And now you have four. Mm-hmm. But your oldest, Tori, mm-hmm. she was having some issues in the beginning. Yeah, so she was born with what's called the sacrococcygeal teratoma, which is really, have you ever heard of this? Those, uh, on movies, you hear about it a lot. People that have like a tumor that has like a, a teeth in it or some hair, things like that. So it's a, t- a tumor that grew off her tailbone. And it was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a benign tumor, but um, you know, the surgery to take care of that stuff, it was, it was a second house. It was $400,000 of debt to kind of make sure she was okay. So that's a lot. It was a little bit for us at the time. We, and I did at the time, did not making a lot of money making, to my wife and I both, I think maybe making $60,000 a year. So what did you, what were you and your wife doing for work? Um, at that time I was, um, I sold my construction company that I had before that. So I didn't really. Um, you know, I did a little bit of metal studs and drywall commercial construction. Um, really made ends meet with that. Didn't make a whole ton of money with that, but got rid of that company. Uh, started doing actually youth ministry. Okay. And then she was actually went through school, was going to school to be an occupational therapist, and doing some side jobs on, outside of that. Okay. And so with so with Tori, does she? So what happened with that? Like, to, like walk us through that whole process yeah. of getting through that. It was kind of wild. We. Uh, so at our 20-week ultrasound is when we found out she had a tumor. So we were fired up, first child, first baby, and you know you go in there, and the 20-week ultrasound, they tell you the gender, they'll tell you all these different things, and the lady was being really odd. So we're asking her questions. We're a super excited young couple, brand new baby, and this lady's just not talking. She's like, wow, she's just not a nice person, maybe. And come to find out later on, she was a great person. She just thought, she saw this huge tumor, bigger than the baby, and uh, wow. she's thinking in her mind, nobody, and by the way, Tori's the first person to ever lift this tumor. Um, to the surgery for this tumor. So she's a, we had a 0% survival rate ever. at this point. Yeah, so nobody's ever survived this tumor. And, um, you know, we're going through this whole thing. So this lady's in her mind, she's thinking, okay, these people have a baby that's not going to survive. And, uh, you know, the doctors talked about terminating a pregnancy, and we just said we don't give up on anything. We're, we're the type of people that are going to do whatever we can to find a way. And so um, we just made that decision. So we ended up going. They said the best chance you have, you want to survive. There's a surgeon in San Francisco. So we uprooted and moved to San Francisco for a couple months. Um, and just really did what we could out of motel rooms, different friends we had out there, stayed with a couple days at a time. But Kelly ended up being out there for five weeks. Um, at that point, what they were gonna do is try to do a surgery in the belly 
and uh, take care of the tumor and put her back in the belly so she can actually grow longer. Oh wow! Uh, that was their so that was their at first that was their goal. Um, and they said she was too big at the point, so she lived uh, past that point. So they said the biggest thing would be that she might die of heart failure because a heart trying to support that much body mass doesn't usually do very well. And so that was our best goal then. But her heart was super strong. Sent us back to Colorado. Kelly spent another five weeks. Uh, my wife, Callie, spent another five weeks in um, Presbyterian St. Luke's Hospital down in Denver. And uh, anyway, they when she was born, they, they said there's going to be five, six different surgeries. Um, one first surgery supposed to take three hours just to stop blood flow to the tumor. And to be honest with you, they did one surgery two hours, and she's never had another surgery ever again. They said she might not ever go to the bathroom, might not ever go to the walk, but if you met my daughter, you would never know if she had anything going on with her. But At that all. being said, $400,000 is what it got us going on on getting her there well i'm glad she's i'm glad she worked like everything worked out especially with the whole medical thing i can only imagine putting myself in, in your shoes you know with my son having to deal with something like that i mean the money aside just you know seeing your child ill or you know not well is always going to hurt you as a parent mm-hmm. but then taking a step back from that then you throw up on top of that four hundred thousand dollars worth of debt as a you said a youth pastor Yep, youth ministry, yep. So how did you, so tell us about working through that part of it, because I mean, that's a whole nother layer of complications. Yeah, the psychological part of it was probably the toughest part, but if you know my wife, she doesn't take no for an answer, so I have to assume that in her prayers, she just said, she just demands, and I, I've had, you've probably never had an argument with my wife. No, but, uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even chance it. <laughs> <laughs> she just doesn't take no for an answer. You tell her you can't do something, you tell her it's not possible, she's always asking, there's gotta be a way. And so she's just awesome that way, and I, I, I thank her for a lot of our success in our family. But um, she has been the one that's just the driving force of saying, "This is there's always a way. We'll always figure out some sort of way to get it done." And so, yeah, psychologically it was tough, but we, we kind of knew. We guess we have a pretty strong faith that if there's going to be something going on, we'll figure out a way around it. Um, and we just sit there, and I, and I'm one of those that I take a lot of things about. Um, I guess our philosophy has been, you know, I have, a, I have an hour every week. I take an hour of silence every week call the classroom of silence and I just sit down and I just do my prayer and uh, some of those things you just couldn't figure out before I think you can I think there's a guy named Matthew Kelly he said you learn more in an hour of silence than you can in a year from reading books I like that and uh, that's been probably my my best negotiating factor I've ever had in life so then how did you get out of the the dead part of it like so to walk us through what you did because a lot of these I think a lot of these success stories you hear this is the problem and I just fixed it but no one really goes into, well, what did you do? Like, it was just like this, you know, blessing that fell out of the sky and there's no hustle, there's no grind, there's no work or anything that the person had to do. And I, and I want to explore that side. Like, what did you actually do to pull yourself out of the debt? Now that your daughter's fine and that's good, thank God. And now we've got this debt that we have to deal with, especially, I mean, now during COVID, I'm hearing stories of people having all kinds of bills that people are holding on, to, you know, hanging on to bare life, to dear life. And then to come out to realize that they're about to die in in debt. So I mean, it's so. How did you work your way out of the the financial burden or stress or struggle of yeah. having to deal with a medical emergency like that? We, I guess, at some point, I was listening to um, I can't remember his name, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. And he's a you know just a great thinker, and he he kind of talks about some stuff. But one of the things that he said is that he said stop trusting so much in what you know. And start figuring out how how to think and what i realize is that there's a lot of people who just know a lot more than i do and so rather than just assuming and turning inward to find all the answers i started just asking people questions and um, i would try to find people who actually had made 
built big businesses, maybe even retired young. I talked to several people who made a million dollars or more a year, just asking them, you know, I need some advice. And um, oftentimes people give me just a couple minutes because I'd, I'd, I'd get a hold of them. I'd, I'd find them through people who knew people who knew them. Um, just working any way of networking that I possibly could to find these people and asking them questions. You know, what did you do? What, how did you get your start? Because right now I'm thinking I had a, a you know, a, a bachelor's degree um, in psychology, which uh, the only reason I did that was as the easiest major on campus. Right. <laughs> I was a psychology major as well until I realized I couldn't make money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the people that do are amazing because they, they get that deeper knowledge of usually master's degree, psychology degree, I'm sorry, uh, doctorate degree, and they move forward from there. But I, I didn't have a lot to go off of as far as trying to figure out what I was going to do. So trying to ask people questions who had some success. And I think that's a part for most of us. We go turn to people because their names are mom and dad. And we ask them, you know, what should I do? The problem with mom and dad is they don't know everything. Um, they know a lot. They know a lot about you. They probably know more about you than often you do because they knew the stories of when you were a little kid and how you acted. But right. um, they don't always have all the answers. And so I think just looking outside of that, trying to find some people that have done what we wanted to do. Okay. And just, go, ahead. go ahead. And so then I remember you telling me a story about a guy that you met that told you about the water meters mm -hmm. that, that kind of in a way led you to starting your starting a business yeah. that really helped you get out of the financial situation that you was in with, with the medical debt that you had accrued. Yeah. So we were looking at what what should we do to make money? And so it's funny because people come to me now and they same thing. They kind of say, here's my goal. And I say, what is the goal? And I tell you people, if you're calling an airline, they have three questions about you. Where are you? Where do you want to be? And when do you want to get there? And so you need to know where you're at, where you're starting and where you want to get to. And uh, I'll go through the water meters here in a second too. But I, you know, I guess for me is when people come and ask me a question, they say, I say, what's the goal? And people always say, well, I want to, I want to retire at 35. And I said, what is the vehicle you're using? What kind of, what, what kind of methods are you using to make money? They say, well, the job. It's kind of like saying, hey, I want to go to Australia and my current vehicle is a Prius. I said, you're in Colorado, 100% of Priuses do not make it to Australia. Exactly. So if you want to go to Australia, you got to change the, the way you are, the, what kind of vehicle you need, the airplane. And so for me, I was, I was basically taking this mentality of, here's what I want to do. I want to use my job to get me out of $400,000 in debt and do it at a fairly young age and then try to use that to be able to spend more time with my wife and kids. I didn't have a baby so I could put her in, in, in baby daycare all the time and never see her, have somebody else raise her. I wanted to spend time with her. So we started looking for different vehicles and saying, what other business methods are there um, outside of a job, outside of um, you know maybe starting a small business where I did construction, which is basically the small if you ever read Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrants, he talks yes, about the different that's ways. that's a great book. Yeah, and I recommend everybody who's kind of on that first start, start checking that out as far as a, an idea. It's not going to give you all the answers. The problem is it's there to educate you, not not solve all your problems. And so, um, you know, I started understanding, here's the employee quadrant, here's the self-employed quadrant. And I started hearing about the investment quadrant. And then, and I think I fairly well understood the investment quadrant, but in order to be there, you had to have some cash flow. And so trying to dissect what that B quadrant was, what he calls the, the big business quadrant, um, where passive income lies and trying to understand that. And so I started asking people questions and basically a guy that I had met, um, he had made a lot of money. He lives in Northern Colorado, um, 20 square miles of the Rocky Mountains he owns around there. And um, asked him some questions, said, how did you make all your money? He said, well, there's two ways to make money. He said, the employed and the self-employed, the small business owner, said they basically trade their time, 40, 60 hours a week, They'll work putting plumbing in houses, for example, 40, 60 hours a week, every week until either they're dead or until they believe there's enough money in the bank to make it to death. 
He said, but the guy who put the water meter on the side of your house, this guy makes $3, $5 off of each water meter. And he's just a middleman. The key to passive income has become the middleman. And he said, but he's making three to five bucks a month. The subscription-based business is where a lot of businesses are going these days. And he said, but now they're, they're making the three to five bucks, but you're making 12,000, 15,000, 20,000, 60,000 a month. But, be, but what happens is the water meters are doing the work. You duplicated yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, through water meters. And um, that's the part that really got to me. So trying to wrap my head around that, what should I put a water meter on? You know, Uber's got cars, um, Airbnb's got um, real estate. What can I put a water meter on? And so really we just put water meters on the internet is essentially what we did. Gotcha. And so now tell us, so you're, so how old were you when you retired? When you stopped, I guess when I say retired, to start working a traditional job. Yeah, I was 34. 34. Mm -hmm. So walk us through that. Like, tell us about that day. That's something I feel like most people can't even wrap their minds around. So let us like relive that. <laughs> well, I've been, you know, I've been planning on it for a long time. So in my mind, I had it planned this perfect way. My 35th birthday is going to retire. And I, I worked for a large corporation. And at the time I had asked them for some time off. Um, I asked them, I was just, I was asked them. And so what happened? My grandfather had passed away. His, his burial was going to be in Arlington out in Washington, DC. Arlington is basically the, the uh, burial ground for a lot of the, the uh, military. And it's usually people that have done something big in the military. And uh, so I was excited to go out there to my grandfather's funeral. And I asked the time off and they refused it. And wow, uh, that's crazy. And I, I requested it for about a month in advance and they turned me down. And so the day was getting closer and I basically gave my two week notice and said, hey, you know what? I have the money. I have enough passive income coming in that I don't have to work anymore. And so I just said, hey, I guess it's coming two and a half months early. And so two and a half months before my 35th birthday, I, I wrote a little letter. But yeah, I had a letter I carried around my pocket, just planning the day that I was going to retire from a job and walk out of there. But yeah, I remember I had this great idea of having this awesome retirement party, having my friends come pull me out of work, and we're going to go smash an alarm clock or do something awesome. I love that. And it never ended up being that method because of uh, because of the day that happened with uh, my grandfather's funeral. So I'm a little bit honorary. Right. Be there. I get it though. I mean, that's that's so ridiculous. I mean, the fact that you can't leave to go see your, you know, go to your grandfather's ceremony, like that's ridiculous. Like no job is worth more than than that moment. Like, it's not something you can relive. Right. And so, so this is one of the reasons I wanted you to share your story, which I found completely fascinating, is that so you you've overcome so much. You're you had a daughter with a medical condition that was deemed almost uncurable you overcome that then on top of that you have four hundred thousand dollars of medical debt and so you create a business in a way that allows you to pay that off but in turn a serendipity of that ended up being you retired by the time you were 35 years old however down the road once you had all this time and all this peace and all this all these victories in your life like you you told me you slipped into a bit of a, a a drought, like a depression. So talk about that. Like how, because how does that, for me, that, that doesn't make sense. Like you, you've had so much success and then when you get everything that you want, like you're not happy. Yeah, there's a, I can't remember what the, what the book, I believe the book is called Resisting Happiness. And a lot of people, you see a lot of people sabotage themselves because they don't want to succeed because they realize, um, you know, that there's, it's just, they almost don't want to become successful because it's a lot of stress thinking I have to do this for how long to be successful doing this. As a funny, actually, I was watching my, my youngest one and I were watching the movie Tangled um, from Disney. And That's it was this, this little cute little part of the movie, but she just says, she's about to have her dream come true. She's like, I've been dreaming up this whole thing. Um, 
that she wanted to have happen. She said, but what? She goes, well, number one, she goes, I'm scared. And he goes, why are you scared? You're about to see the thing that you most wanted to see. She goes, but I know, but what happens if it's not as good as I wanted it to be? She's like, what happens if I built this dream in my mind and it was a letdown? She goes, but even worse, what happens if it was as good as I thought it was gonna be? And now I have no more dream. And I think a lot of people hit that. And he says, well, the best part is now you get to actually figure out what is your next dream? That's the beauty of accomplishing something is you get to figure out your next dream. The hard part for a lot of people, and this is why I see you see a lot of people, I think, go into professional athletics and they achieve on a level that they wanted to, and they retire, they make a lot of money. Now they all of a sudden, they've achieved what they've always wanted to do. They set up this goal and then have a bigger goal beyond that. So my goal, you know, at that time was, you know, I want to be able to take care of my daughter. When that was achieved, I said, now I want to be able to get out of a job and not have to work for anybody else. And then that was achieved. And I hadn't planned beyond that. And so getting in there and, and retiring was devastating for me in a way. I, I went down to my basement for, we traveled, my wife and I traveled for a little while, um, did some things we wanted to do, made a couple of purchases we wanted to make. And then I hit this depression. I sat in my basement for literally about two weeks. I don't even know if I came out of my basement to shower. I'm pretty sure my wife served most of my meals downstairs in the basement. I was just kind of a setup where we had a bunch of like big couches and yeah. like a footrest, just almost like a bed in front of the television. And I sat there thinking, this is it. This is what I did. I, I retired to what, play video games, to what, watch television. I don't have to work a job. And I think that's for a lot of people is people don't necessarily want to retire because they think, well, what is next? And I think that's something grateful that I actually had a mentor in my life who had retired at 28 years old. And uh, I was able to call him and say, hey, man, I've, I've been bad for the past weeks. I've been struggling. I've been thinking about alcohol. I've been thinking about drinking. What do I do? And he says, I'm surprised it took you two weeks to call me. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, wow. He goes, because it, 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 it didn't take me that long before I got went a little bit crazy. And I think for the first time in my life, I started saying, well, what is my purpose in life? I don't have to make money anymore. I don't have to work for, I don't have to trade my time anymore. But I think that's a lot of the thing that a lot of people don't think about is once you retire, once you don't have to make money anymore, money's taken care of. And we have, right? Like we have such an incredible world. One of my kids the other day said, dad, sometimes life is hard. And I looked at him and said, this is the best the world has ever been. Like there's never been an easier time for water, for clean water, for pure water, for food. You know, kings and queens used to eat pineapples, but nobody else. Um, we have air conditioning in almost every house and heaters in almost every house. Like this is the best it's ever been. If you can't handle this, but you start realizing we've created processes for getting water. We created process for getting groceries. And now if you create this process for making money, get that out of the way, for the first time in your life, you gotta start figuring out why are you on earth? And that was the question that really boggled my mind was what is my purpose now? What is this vision? You know, and for the first time going back to almost when you're five, I think you're closer to it when you're five years old saying, you know, people ask little kids and the problem is they ask little kids to say, what do you want to do when you get older? And little kids always say something super cute. They're always like, I want to yeah. be a dad. I want to help people. I want to be a firefighter so you can save people and be a hero. And people always laugh. They go, <laughs> what do you do to make money? Yeah. And uh, my son is in that vein where he's, I mean, he wants to be a, he told me he wanted to be a smoke jumper. He had a helicopter in his backpack for show and tell for school. He wants to be a, a baseball player. Just anything that he thinks of, he wants to do that. Did you teach him about smoke jumping? No, I think his, uh, I don't know who he got it from. He just came home and he had this helicopter in his hand. He was like, I want to be a smoke jumper. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a baseball player. I want to be all this other kind of stuff. So he's. What was it you wanted to be when you were a kid? I Honestly, I don't know. Probably an athlete like most kids, you know, basketball. But I mean, I really wasn't as focused as I should have been. I mean, I honestly didn't even really, you know, play competitively like that. So it was just aspirations without really wanting anything. But. I don't know. I mean, it was one point where I wanted to be uh, an astronaut because I, I went to uh, space camp 
and in Huntsville, Alabama, and we, we went through all of this stuff, and I was just so such a nerd about it. And uh, but I don't know, like I mean, again, like like you were saying, I mean, you kind of give those things up when you realize that you know you have to sustain yourself, and those dreams aren't going to be able to sustain yourself. So I was kind of like following in line with what you're saying, like I gave a lot of that stuff up. Not saying that that's, that was my purpose. I think that was just like what I wanted to do at the time with the information that I had as a child. Yeah, and I think that's hard for a lot of people. We don't necessarily have somebody pushing us to continue to his dream. I tell people all the time, I don't think that the Olympic gold medalist is the most talented person out there. I think they're typically the ones that have the most supportive parents that were able to uproot. We had somebody that was working for us a while ago and they had two little daughters that were pretty skilled gymnasts and they, they owned several um, different uh, franchises of a business and they were asked to go to Omaha to go to one of the best the, co- the best coaches in the country to live closer to him and they did they uprooted and moved so their daughters could do that and I have no doubt in my mind you'll see their daughters as Olympic athletes because they have parents that would want to do anything they could to support that dream most of us don't have somebody who's willing to do that and I think for, for me it was I had a mentor in my life who was able to just come in my life and and uh, plug in and just say hey I believe that you can do this do you really is this really what you want and I think that's where a lot of us fail is we don't have somebody. You're going to live up to the to the standards of whoever is around you, your, your association. And if your association is telling you to go do it, absolutely go do it. And if your dad was an astronaut, you probably would have become an astronaut. Probably. Probably. So here's the, the million-dollar question time. What is your purpose? Well, I think, you know, for me, and this took me a long time. This was a hard thing to figure out because I think most people try to say, well, what is my purpose on Earth? And uh, I think most of us are a lot closer at five years old to understanding why we're put on this earth than we, than we do when we're 35 years old. It's an interesting statement. Yeah, expand. <laughs> because when you're little, you, you really are thinking about what brings you joy, what makes you happy. And, um, you know, at five years old, if you would ask me what I want to do, I would have hands down said, I want to be a dad. I want to be a dad. I love the, uh, the idea of just helping people. Um, I talked about being a firefighter, being, but really the truth was I wanted to just be a dad, um, that protector, provider. Um, I wanted to be able to just teach people. I like that idea of coaching. And so I've always had some sort of aspect of doing some sort of coaching. I coached track for a while. I coached baseball for a while. We coached all different kinds of sports, but I love that. But what I really loved was the fact that I can help people. You know, they're, they're at a, say they're at a three and they want to get to an eight. And I want to be able to raise people to that level and say, hey, what, what kind of motivation do you need? What kind of encouragement? And the truth is most people just need some sort of encouragement. If you read about any serial killer, there's a turning point where they became, they were always had something off about them anyway. Right. But the truth is there's a point in their life where if they would have just been empowered and told they were good in some way and told that they were incredible, most likely they wouldn't have even gone down that route. So looking for importance somehow. Right. And uh, and I don't know if that's true. I'm not the psychologist that everybody needs, but uh, you know, that's the stuff that I'm looking at. You see this turning point. And I've seen a couple people in my life where you see these people that are down making bad decisions and they just get a little bit of encouragement and they get up. And we've, we know a gal that we worked with that she was, um, she'd had some a rough past and going through a bunch of stuff, but just kind of getting that encouragement was just. And she tells us all the time, "This is what changed. This is the pivot point in my life." Was having people that just believed in me, um, telling me I was made for something greater. And I love that speaking into people, into people about that. But the way I did that again, that 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 classroom of silence, sitting down for every week, an hour every week, and it took me an entire year. It was the hardest thing I think I ever did, was figuring out why I was put on this earth. And I'd sit down, I'd go to a, the, a chapel, I'd go somewhere quiet and silent without my cell phone on. Um, I went there with a pen and paper. I left my cell phone in the car. Maybe I had a book that I was reading. But I'd go there and the, honestly, the first 20 minutes is just cleaning out. Because here's what happens for most people. So I tried that, but I can't silence my mind. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm terrible at that. I mean, when I, it's times where I'll watch something on TV and I'll think about something 
then I'm rewinding whatever it is that I'm watching. And I'll do that like four or five times of the same scene or the same thing that I'm, I'm overlooking because I'm thinking about something. I'll grab my phone to look at something. Or I'll send a message or something like that. Like I'm, I, I'm easily distracted to where I need to actually consciously meditate and be mindful to stop my mind from wandering about certain things. But at least you do it. And I think that a lot, oftentimes when, and that's what I, that's my format of reading. A lot of people think they need to read a book from A to Z and go through the entire book and say, just read this. Here's a success book. Read it. And then what happens is people read that book and they get they call me the next day and say, I read that book. I say, but you can't apply it. If you read the whole thing, like, you know, you read a book, let's just take the book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the most read books in the world. You read that book, it should be read, either I'd say 15 minutes or less, or read until the point that you get distracted, you start thinking about an example. And then stop for the rest of the day and meditate on that and think about, well, how do I apply smiling to people? Do I do that? And just go out there and practicing it. But putting the book down and just folding it, maybe you open it up again later that day, maybe it's the next day. Maybe it's two days later because you just say, I need to read that chapter again and go back and practice it even more. But I think that the, you don't read books to to get to just hear the information. You read the books to apply it. Right. And I, I think you're probably, as far as people that I know in my life, I think the one thing that I've been intrigued by you on is you're one of those people that if you say you're going to do it, your word is impeccable. And I, I love the fact that you're going to be super successful. Everything you've done has touched, turned to gold, really, because I, I believe it's because your word is so impeccable, but you also stop and you're very, um, you sit down and you kind of just quiet your soul for a while and you just think about those things, where a lot of people that I know just don't. And uh, you're going to see that. people that are successful that do exactly what you've done because they can, they realize that about themselves and they recognize and they quiet their soul for a little bit. Right. So, so for you, what would you tell somebody else? Cause, cause, cause it sounds like you've always had this dream or understood your purpose. And I feel like a lot of the times for me, even now, I don't really exactly know what my purpose is. So for you, it seems like you've always at least had an idea. You may not have at five been able to say, this is specifically what I want to do, but you've at least had, you know, due north. Like I can, I can, if I at least head in this direction, I'll be somewhere in the vicinity of what I'm meant to be or meant to do. So what would you say to somebody that, so what, first of all, do you feel like that's accurate? Like you've always known? No, I, I feel like maybe I didn't realize I've always known because it took me a year to come back to what I have always known. Okay. I just didn't know I knew it. And so it took me That's a year of, and every week for 52 weeks or so, um, I would sit down and, and just have a the classroom of science for an hour. It took me a year to realize, man, his, I'm just going to come back to what I've always known um, is that, that, that father power of just, uh, you know, there's a rite of passage that most people need to be accepted into. Um, some sort of, of a culture, some sort of uh, that belief, but just being able to pat people in the back and encourage them to go that direction. And yeah, it took me a long time to realize, yeah, it's always been there, but I didn't realize it was there because I could not quiet my soul enough to get there. Right. And so, for, so, so, so I've always been intrigued by people who spoke about success and things like that. But for me, you know, being in, sorry, if I was in a situation like you, I'm 400,000 miles in debt, it's hard for me to accept that. It's hard for me to take my mind out of, this sounds great, good for you, but this is my problem. How do I make it work? So, and I, I kind of equate it to boxing, right? Like, so when you you have a coach sitting outside the ring and you have a boxer in the ring, well, the coach can tell you, all right, you know, look, keep your hand up, you know, throw these combinations, step, step here, step there. But then as you'll see it, when the fighter will get into the ring, it's like all oh, that stuff goes out the window. 
or they may do flashes of it because it's different. Like you, when you're in it, it's hard to retain that information, one, let alone to execute it, especially if it's not something that's been a practice. So kind of like with you, with you know, taking the, the, the time to be silent and meditate. So what would you say to somebody that's that may feel like they're just too embedded in a struggle to be able to take themselves out of that or step away from that or silence themselves in a way to where they can at least find enough peace to navigate their way through that like what is that quick hey look i know this i know this is bad i know this is terrible but just listen to this and just hold on to this information and regardless of how bad it gets just remind yourself of yeah i think the first step i think you need to find somebody who's willing to encourage you I think it's going to be step number one is find somebody because what happens is the first thing you have to do is you have to shed away all that stuff that isn't of you. And um, so, for example, um, you know, I guess the first thing we started, we started saying, hey, here's some of my goals. I'm going to achieve these goals. You start hitting those goals. You start realizing that wasn't a goal at all. That was just something that I wanted to do. But what's interesting was, um, you know, we helped somebody just today. Um, just we've helped some coach a lot of different people. But one of the guys today, he sat down and we, he, he just got out of debt. He has $200,000 in the bank now. Nice. And when you have no debt, you have $200,000 in the bank, you're able to start dreaming again for the first time. And this is different when, when you have that position where you say, okay, now I can start thinking of the things I want. But the hard part for most of us, we're focusing on some of these things like this, for example. But a lot of people, you need to divorce that idea, I guess, pull away of my passions and what I love to do has to make me money. Yeah. So you need to divorce that idea of, you know, the guy that, every guy that you know that's a mechanic and they say, I'm gonna become a mechanic, why? Because I love cars. And they go off and they work on cars along and they get home, they have a project car in their garage. And you say, why, how long have you had that project car in your garage? They go, oh man, it's been there for five years. Why don't you work on it? Because the last thing I feel like doing when I get home from work is working on that project car. So making your passion into a form of making money is really prostituting your love is you take something that you love to do that is very good and that God gave you and you're trying to sell it for money and say, I'm gonna to try to take this thing that is good. And it's a good way to ruin a great hobby. Right. I know a lot of guys that love real estate or they love houses, they go, I'm gonna sell houses. And then it becomes a job for them. And it becomes, it takes all the passion out of that. Um, it's like you're getting paid to do something you love to do, but all of a sudden now you have this expectation to perform. And um, that's where I get, what I love to get to do now is I get a coach. My What I figured out for me is that what I love to do is just coach people. I love to help men become men. I love to get that father power of just, you know, but a lot of times we just, you meet a lot of people who, and I don't think that most dads are bad. Um, I think that a lot of dads just aren't present because of their job, their job pulls them away so much and they get, it's a very effeminating, you know, atmosphere. When you go to a job and then men talk down to you and make fun of you, emasculate you at work all day long and you get home. And my dad as a kid, he had to drink two beers before he could even talk to us he had to cool off and get that separation before he snapped at us and took his day out on us. Yeah, I get that. I, I'm working 72 hour shifts. And so the first two days are just brutal. And so I, I kind of feel bad with my son because he's just jumping off the walls and wants to play and do this with daddy and this and that and the third. But I mean, it's like, it's like you were just saying, like, I mean, you're so beat and tired from, from your job then you don't really have the best of your time and energy to pass on to the things that actually matter to you. So I, I, I can relate. And, uh, and it's exactly that, but it's just, and I think, you know, you always hear about men, men have to keep things separate and you kind of have to have a little bit of a dividing time for the time you get off work to the time that you're able to refocus and, and become back in the position of dad where, um, you know, in the old days, it's like you lived in a farm, you took your kids out and you were able to parent and feed the cattle or whatever it was you did. Um, 
chop down trees with them, whatever it was, you performed it side by side. But now it's like we have a job we're separated from them. We come home and we don't actually get to encourage our kids and tell them how great they are because when we get home, we're home so seldom, we're oftentimes just correcting them. And you correct them and correct them and correct them rather than the really, the truth is we should be telling them what they're doing great and tell them what they're awesome at and be able to just discover that. But we're, we're around so little and maybe our wife or, or, or mom is telling us, here's the things that our kids need to work on. Um, what are what do we need to fix? And so you just got to go in there and you got to address it. And so it's always fixing. When really, most of us, we just need somebody to tell us, man, do you realize you're just a good man? Right. <laughs> and to hear that is just so seldom. And um, so when people need to get, they say, okay, I finally figured out how to divorce this way I'm making money. And, and I think you got to shed a couple of things and say, maybe what I, like I said earlier, um, divorce what you know. Don't don't think that what you know and how you think are two different things. Uh, get rid of what you what you know, what you think you know. Um, that uh, that uh, paradigm shift of here's what I believe. These are my beliefs, and my belief is I have to have a job. And when we got to the point where I started saying I can make money other ways than just having a job, and uh, started trying to find somebody who could mentor and coach me. And really, what he saw in me was 100% different than what I saw in myself. Having somebody, um, you know, just tell me that he believed that I could achieve those things. I believe you could have been an astronaut. I believe you probably still could. <laughs> you know, then that's the part where. Um, just having somebody say, but why should I? And I think the problem, probably the truth is for you, you probably started saying, but why would I be an astronaut? Yeah. And it's a question a lot of us need to start with is like, what is my, like, but why question? Start with that question why. The book Start With Why by Simon Sinek is great. But he says, start with the question why. And that question why is a, is a question of purpose. It's a question of vision and a question of, of values. And you start really getting into that and understanding, you know, what is my purpose in life? And then how do I achieve that? And, uh, I think that's where that, that prayer part comes in is, well, what are the, what are the, and exhaust those different um, resources that you have and find out who do I know that does this and how do they get into this? And maybe I could ask them a few different questions because they can probably show me how to achieve my dream. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, the, the sticky part though. Cause even so, again, I think most of my life I've kind of been grasping at straws of what my purpose is. Like I think I have, I have a handful of things that people have told me that I'm good at. And I feel like, like you were saying, like, well, you know, I feel like I have to somehow mash all those talents together and then find the thing that incorporates the things that I'm strong at. But even then, though, like, it's kind of like, okay, even as I'm thinking about that, so like podcasting is kind of having for me hints of that. Like, I've always had, like, a, a deep voice. My mom was making fun of me when I was three, and my family would joke with me about this all the time. While well, I was three years old, and I'd, I'd yell to somebody, you know, throw me the ball, and my voice was so deep then. Even in high school, like, my voice was deep. And so, like, now a lot of responses I've been getting is your voice is very soothing. And then, you know, working with you at times, I'll hear, you know, you're great with public speaking. And so immediately it's kind of like, oh, man, maybe this is my purpose. But then the, my first thought after that is, well, how can I make money off of it so I can only have to do this thing? And so I get that. I mean, like, that's what you're saying is so true. I mean, it, it, even that's, and that's subconscious. So for me to have to try to figure out, it's almost like you have to figure out two things. Like, well, how are you going to make a residual income money to where you don't have to worry about that? And then it frees your mind up to just enjoy your passions, whether it be podcasting, whether it be coaching, whether it be real estate or whatever that is. And so that's, I think that's whatever reason, that's like you were saying, like a society is ingrained in us as a, as a child. But what do you want to be when you grow up? And then everyone says a job as opposed to, you know, I want to make whatever or I want to do whatever. I want to meet whoever. And so it's just 
it's interesting that you say that and even as you as i'm saying it out loud i'm thinking as it pertains to money yeah and that's the well that is it's as a kid we start saying Here's, here's what, are your, what are your dreams? What are your goals? But don't go get those. Right. <laughs> um, figure out a way to go work for somebody else and see if they'll pay you to do that. And uh, you know, I guess the, the really the questions I ask myself. The, if I can go back and say, here's a question I asked myself over and over again until I retired was, if I had two hundred fifty million dollars in the bank, how would I live my life? And that was exactly how I. I didn't say what would I do. I said how would I live my life. Um, which is a little bit different because most of us think, what would I do? We think, well, what would I do for work? What would I do to make money? And so what happens for a lot of us is we think that we hear, go to school, get a good education. If the good education, you're going to get a good job. If you get a good job, you're going to make a lot of money. And if you make a lot of money, here's the only part we hear. If you make a lot of money, you're going to be successful. Exactly. And so we hear that part. So we think if I'm rich, I'll be successful. So a lot of people are just trying to figure out how do I get rich? And then what happens for most people is they go out there and they try to do things like finance a Cadillac, right? Finance and Escalade, so they can look successful. And I think that's the thing. That's that's a part of. If I could, if I could take a pill that gives me your biceps, I would take that pill every day. The shortcut. Uh, if I could look like Nick Moore or have your voice by taking a pill, I would take that pill every day. But um, and we, the, the truth is, most of us have a pill. It's called a credit card, yeah. and so we can finance looking successful or looking sexy or looking cool by swiping the credit card and say, "Man, you have a." I mean, you see people that don't have the money to be buying a, a Gucci purse, right, or whatever it is. Right. And they buy these things, and it's like, but I know what you do for work. Why do you? Why did you spend all your money? Oh, because you want to look successful, not be successful. And I think too many of us are looking for that shortcut. So the question I tell people to ask themselves is: If you had two hundred fifty million dollars in the bank, what would you do? Because what, what that question does is, people say, "Well, I want to travel. I'd pay off my mom's house, pay off my house." I say, "Great. Say you bought a ten million dollar house. What do you do with the other two hundred thirty-eight million dollars?" <laughs> right. And people go, "Well, that's too much money for me." And I think the question you need to ask yourself is, "You weren't put on this earth to have more stuff." And I don't think stuff is bad. I hope you get that Ferrari. I hope you get that mansion. I hope you get those things, and that'll happen. I think the bigger question is, once that money is out of the way, once those material things are out of the way, you can buy whatever you want. What do you do? And people usually go, "Well, I would take that money, reinvest it, and have 500 million. Great. Now you have a half billion dollars. Let's say you have a billion dollars. You're able to be a really good investor. You have a billion dollars. What does your day to day? So bigger question is, how do you spend your 60 to 80 hours a week of energy that you have now that you don't have to trade it at a job? Exactly. And now you're fully confident, and you're fully excited. And here's the thing: is I was hearing by uh, I think Sarah Blakely. Um, she's she's an entrepreneur. She has a bunch of her business books and stuff out there. But one of the things she said, she said, change the way you view failure. And she talked about a story when she was a little kid. She'd come home from dinner. Her dad would say, what did you fail at today? And the kids would go, nothing. And he said, she said, there was nothing more disappointing than your dad being disappointed in you for not failing. He says, because that means you didn't try anything. He says, the only true disappointment, the only true failure is not trying. And uh, for, for us, is just, you know, I think for a lot of people that are your listeners, for them is this is the thing that I've that we've watched I watched you do over and over again as you said here's the thing I want to do and you've hit so many of your goals but I think a lot of it boils down to your word is impeccable that you don't speak things you don't I've never heard you make a sarcastic comment I've never heard you make fun of anybody else before I've never heard you um, you know say uh, even over exaggerate I know I've caught myself over exaggerating from you, you go a million you mean 12 and I go yeah I meant 12 <laughs> and, uh, uh, but it's just you you are impeccable with that and I think a lot of that is because you speak what you want you get it and um, you've always talked about your goals you made them very clear and very definite but I think when you when people I guess the first question I tell people is if you had 250 million dollars imagine how that feels imagine what you would do and make it and then work towards that 
And uh, I think that's when you really figure out your purpose is if you have enough money, you don't have to go to a job to trade for things anymore. You already have all the stuff you want. You have every car, every bit of clothing. You could afford whatever you want. I think what happens, it takes away those things that you think you wanted, which are material possessions. Right, And says, exactly. but who do I want to be and how do I want to live? Exactly. It's kind of, yeah, like when you get everything that you want and then it's, and it's you know, but you're, I feel like for me, and my neighbor says this all the time, uh, he says that wealth is actually connections, people. Like if I die today, how many people are going to show up to my funeral? And that's because, I mean, he helped me with, you know, with the fence and just little things here and there over the house. And I'm like, look, man, I'll, I'll pay you. And he, he always says, you know, no, I'm not going to, don't, don't pay me, but I end up paying him anyway. But at the same time, it's like, you can tell, like, he's learned throughout his life. And a lot of the success that he's had throughout his life is just connecting with people and not necessarily valuing material things. And he has a pretty unique story, too. I wish I can get him on. And so it's just kind of like what you were saying, like, things don't material things and superficial things aren't satisfying and it, at some point when you get that then what are you going to do like are you going to be happy i mean like so let's just say if i had everything that i wanted okay i'm great now who do i share it with that genuinely cares about me that's not here for the stuff that i have and so again like that that makes so much sense like, i mean things can only make you so happy for so long well even achievements like you think about you know say the greatest boxer in the world you want to go out to become the greatest boxer in the world what happens is people aren't really trying to achieve being the greatest boxer in the world they achieve that right they do achieve that they get there they're the greatest boxer in the world what they're really looking for is an acceptance exactly and i think for a lot of people helping people to understand that and i think what you need to do is before you can ever feel accepted by anybody else you have to accept yourself and um there's a story about um this guy was talking about the infinite game he says set your goals as infinite goals he says if your goal is to be the best boxer in the world and you achieve that, it's only gonna be a short game. Like you hit it one time, he said, so when he said one of the things, he jumped in a car with um, one of the guys, it wasn't Steve Jobs, but one of the creators of Apple. And he got in the car, this was back when, when iPods were first coming out. And he said, hey, Microsoft beat you. They have this thing, I think it was Microsoft, or maybe it was Zuni, it was the Zuni that came out, I'm not sure if it was I remember Microsoft. That. But he said, they beat you, they, did, they created a better product than you have. And the guy said, I have no doubt in my mind. He said, but that's not our goal. They transitioned everything so well at Disneyland and, um, but the, Disneyland does such a great job of transitioning that you go from into the park and it goes in there. But what happens is Universal Studios. And it was funny, I went with my daughter and we're trying to do this infinite game. We're talking about, um, you know, we're, we're trying to, Universal Studios, they, they keep trying to compare themselves to Disneyland. Okay, they have Disneyland, they've done a great job. They're probably the king. If anybody talks about like the best music park, they always say Disneyland. And so what Universal Studios did was they set out to start the best ride ever. And they, they created this Harry Potter ride where you run the broomstick and they did this thing with 3D. And if you've ever been there, it's the best ride I've ever been on. It is an awesome ride. But I would still tell you I'd rather go to Disneyland because what happens is Universal's trying to just, they're in competition to try to beat Disneyland at one thing. And Disneyland said, well, our goal is never to have the best ride. Our goal was to be the happiest place on earth. And, uh, you know, when we're trying to go out there, I think what happens for most of us, we try to put these goals of try to compare ourselves to somebody else. We try to put these goals rather than saying, hey, I want to I want to be the happiest. I want to be the best boxer. I want to make this um, small goal. What is your infinite goal? And I think asking that question is if, if you could do anything for the rest of your life, what is that infinite goal that you have for you? Um, is it? And I think that's the hardest thing. And I, I would tell you, I still don't know necessarily that my goal is going to be mentoring and coaching the rest of my life. I was going to say, I mean, because that seems like a very... Because we evolve. I mean, like, what I want now compared to, you know, five years ago is not the same. I mean, you have these instances where you, I, I want this thing, or I want to be this thing. 
and then you have an experience or you learn something new and it's and then it changes so are you saying that it should be a constant like i could decide today or if i were to figure out that thing today it's forever or it's a ever evolving passion i think you're going to get close i think once you really figure out like for me that i'd say father power when, when really what that boils down to is is helping i guess if i could say here my ultimate goal is to help more men become men um you see a lot of 50 four year old little boys playing video games yeah, and uh yeah. and that's the part where you try to just get the people and help them understand that playing a video game doesn't make you a kid uh, but you know having a beard doesn't make you a man and i think that a lot of people think that just because they're male you know <laughs> makes them into men and uh, there needs to be that rite of passage, and sometimes you just need to, to understand, you know, what are your, what is your purpose in life? And that's been my purpose is really help people find their purpose. Uh, I think that's something I'll probably always want to do at some level. I think the levels and probably the right when you start in the minor leagues, you change and you start little league, and you go up, and then you all of a sudden you want to play in Yankee Stadium. You get bigger levels of what you want to actually achieve, and then you want to go to the Olympics. And uh, you're going to always change that arena. I think at some level it's going to be the same game for me. Okay. Um, just different arenas, different sizes of, of levels of what we're going to be doing that with. And so when we do, we get the question, people say, well, if you're so successful, if you're retired, why are you still meeting with people? Why are you still sitting down and helping people? And I just tell people, why aren't you just enjoying the fruits of your labor? I think that's when you know you haven't created your purpose or found your purpose is because you think your fruit of your labor is your jet or the fruit of your labor is your um, suit or your vacation home and i think the fruit of my labor you know is is, is like you <laughs> it's like is my kids is the people right. that we've helped and we've coached and said let me help you achieve your goal that's the fruit of my labor i i, I think I've, i i i'm kind of tracking i'm tracking what you're saying i feel like creation or creating kind of gives you that thing that that level of peace like so the example with this podcast it's times where i'll start at let's say seven o'clock eight o'clock and i look up and it's one o'clock and so it's so for what you're saying to me it sounds like something that involves like creation or giving is going to probably in some shape form or fashion be that thing that satisfies us all regardless of what that looks like because i think that that is something and, and you know not to get too you know spiritual or religious in it but i feel like we were created and so every so if i say if i make a thing it's going to if i make like 10 of them they're going to be certain traces and similarities that will say yeah nigga probably made this like when a when a music producer makes a beat like you can say you can tell by the by the song and the, and the tones and the, and the instruments like yeah this person probably made this or like a, you always know what a spike lee movie is because of certain scenes they their similarities so i feel like a creator as creations we're going to have similarities in our creator and i feel like that similarity is the desire to create the desire to make the desire to extend beyond past you know the right now so almost kind of like you know that could be our children like you were talking about being a father that that in a way is creating like i mean you're one you're literally creating a, a living being and then you're instilling values in them that they'll take beyond you and so like with you and your business i mean when you help somebody else out you're in a way creating an idea creating someone with a new perspective that they'll hopefully take learn on and pass it down to somebody else so now when you're long gone this thing continues to create and create and expand kind of like you know like the big bang like i said the universe is constantly expanding it's kind of like your business is your big bang and when you're gone it'll continue to expand and expand and expand and hopefully for me i'm thinking that when i find that thing that when i'm long and gone 
it'll continue to expand and grow long after I'm, I'm taking my hands off of it. So that to me is kind of like the common themes that I'm finding in what you're saying. And Mark Twain says it this way. He says the two greatest days, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day that you find out why. And I think that's, that was true for me. I remember the day that I figured that out and it's just been funny. And even like you talk about the evolution of, of that dream. It's been, for example, this last week, I've been doing this for a while, just kind of coaching people. And it's, I was kind of getting a rhythm and getting pretty used to what I was doing, but I haven't been as excited as I have this last week. We have these three guys I'm working with right now from Benin, Africa, and they speak French. Okay. And just helping them sitting down in the hours. And it's like that labor of love. You know you love it when it's just a lot of work, but the amount of hours you're taking to sit down and translate from English to French and from French to English, so we can actually communicate better to help them get their business ideas out there to help them be successful. It's like when you know, but we have people that are just so appreciative. On that part, like I think the truth is, it's probably in a, in a way a selfish thing for me is the amount of gratification I get from helping somebody when they're super appreciative and they show you that appreciation. And I think that's a part of like everything, like, right? Muhammad Ali wants to be the greatest boxer. He wanted that appreciation of being the greatest boxer. And so I think we're all going to figure out what makes us feel so appreciated. Everybody, it's like a, if you read Think and Grow Rich or a lot of these books, they, they talk about everybody seeking for that approval of somebody else. And that probably is selfishly that's probably my my piece is that i get a lot of the satisfaction from helping other people right because you feel appreciated maybe for the first time in your life for some of those things so everyone wants to be valued i mean that's not like a, a selfish thing i mean like i like i like to be appreciated you know I, I mean like so even with this like i mean so for me the biggest compliment anyone can give me can be is i'm proud of you for whatever reason like even if i don't know you and you see something that I've done or you watch me or you meet me and say, hey, I'm proud of you. Like that to me makes me feel like great. So that doesn't sound like a an, an, an extreme or a radical idea. Yeah. And I think the hard part, you know, and I think Einstein talks about it, but he says at some point everybody's a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll live its whole life believing it's stupid. And I think for a lot of us, <laughs> it's just getting in that that part of like, what is what is your where's your water? What is, where is it that you belong? And, um, but you've, you've done a really good job at that. I, I think that you've done, I know you've always sought out that, that piece of it. And I remember when I first met you, constantly seeking out to try to, to get better and get better and get better. And I, I just hope more people, you know, I guess the ultimate goal for, for what you're doing is helping people to just say, how do I become better? How become, I think the truth is breaking down that transparency saying, how much do I don't, how much do I not know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know how many people are humble enough to, to admit they don't know everything. And uh, maybe just kind of ask some bigger questions of themselves. Maybe even saying, hey, maybe I need to go to different people for information. And that's where I think for a lot of us, we are, you know, we kind of get stuck in our own ways of saying, hey, maybe everybody should believe the way my mom and dad believe. Right. And I'm not saying, you know, I know I talk a lot about spiritual stuff. and I'm not trying to say everybody needs to think that way. Um, but I, I do, you know, there's, I understand. I, I went through and I, I went through all sides of it. When I, when I try to make a decision on something, I go through the spiritual aspect, I go through the science aspect. I try to weigh every, every different direction. And at some point, truth is just truth. Right. And uh, really turning into that part of understanding, you know, what what is it that I feel the most peace? And here's the part for the people that are, I see, I see more people fail that are Christians than anybody because they say, well, I don't feel at peace with this. And I was like, well, your God didn't feel at peace when He was bleeding, right? <laughs> uh, he's sweating blood on the cross, right? And so I think help people to understand that you're not going to ever feel totally at peace. Sometimes that flutter in your heart of yeah. fear just means you're doing something new, and it's scary doesn't mean you shouldn't do it this means you're i had somebody explain this to me years ago about like when you when you're nervous and your heart is beating and you're sweating and all this kind of stuff is your body preparing you to exert itself more than than what is normal 
And so, yeah, like that, that makes, I think, yeah, a lot of it is, is changing perspectives. And I think the biggest thing that I probably learned from you that I've taken from you that you really never said directly, but I mean, you've, you've said it now is, is learning from somebody else. Like a, you'll, I mean, I've always felt like you'll never know more than what you don't know. And even from, even just from an emotional standpoint, if something happens, I'll usually, before I react, I'll ask somebody, Hey, this is what happened. You know, this is how I feel about it. Am I overreacting? I've had to do that recently, you know, for work. And this is one cat that I'm dealing with. And it's just like, like, it's just so frustrating to, to deal with. And so I always say, hey, you know, this is what happened. Like, am I tripping? Like, am I am I overreacting? And usually if I get them, oh, that's, that's, I would be upset too. Then it's, And then it, it kind of gives me, all right, I don't feel anxious about how I feel. And so I think having that, that second opinion that someone that's not emotionally invested because they're not physically in the situation, but at the same time they care about you can say, yeah, this is what I see from the outside looking in and not necessarily saying that you don't understand what's going on but again like when your emotions are involved like everything is fuzzy it's like you're, you're the elephant is right in front of you and you kind of need somebody you know standing back to say yo this is an elephant like this is what you're looking at and so i think what i what i took was i need to usually i need to rely on someone that has some aspect or some facet of what it is that i'm trying to accomplish and it doesn't have to be perfect but someone that's made and even if they don't really have it completely because i feel like you there's certain things that you haven't accomplished that you want to but i believe that you will but you're closer to it than i am and so it's like i'm i'm more likely to add your perspective of it because you're further along the road than i am when it comes to certain things so i think having a mentor or somebody that can say hey this is this is what i experienced because for me, this is what kind of what I want to do, even with the podcast. Like, I don't want to be preachy. I'm not trying to say this is what you should do. This is what it is. This is the fact. This is the truth. I'm just saying, hey, this is what happened to me. This is how I've made sense of it. You know, take it with you. Take it and from your perspective and see if you can apply it however you can. So I think. So for me, I've always I'm, I've kind of in a way duplicated your perspective in, in, in this venture that I'm taking on. So it, it, the value of having a second opinion someone that you trust, someone that you know cares about you and about your success is something that to me seems to be the key to finding your purpose because when you're in it, it's very hard to take your emotions out of it. Well, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said finding a mentor that both wants to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish but can also be unemotional about, because what happens, your mom and dad are emotional. Right? Exactly. You call your mom and dad and they, exactly. they, say they want to protect you and that's a good parent, they love you. Right. So as your son goes out and wants to do something that seems scary to you, you want to protect him and say, oh, I don't want you to go on that adventure. Right. So you almost need to find somebody who's been on that adventure that your parents didn't go on and be able to ask them. But that's that's a sign of finding a good mentor. Is find that person that can both care about you enough, but also be unemotional enough about um, you falling down and getting hurt. So that's why when you watch the movies, you always have that coach that's a little bit, you know, that the Rocky Balboa coach that sits there and just yells at him the whole time and right. hits him in the belly. You gotta, you gotta have a coach like that that can kind of just present you with the truth, um, and and get to the point where they're they're gonna say, hey, I'm gonna speak the truth and it's gonna hurt and I want you to know that it's gonna hurt. And so finding that person that loves you enough that's not that's gonna be able to withdraw and, and pull back when they're hitting you, at the same time give you those punches that punch you in the punch you in the face with truth. Yeah. Um, in a loving way, <laughs> it's a hard thing to find. Got you. So let me ask this last question, because the concept of the show is eureka moments like the bite of the apple moments those moments that you 
realize, you know, this thing. So, for, so from someone listening to your story that's hearing this for the first time, what is the bite of the apple, Eureka, light on moment that they that you want them to take from your story? I guess hopefully everybody asks themselves the question: Why do I do what I do? Why, why do I work where I work? Why do I live where I live? Why is it that I um, think that I'm only worth a hundred thousand dollars a year? Am I worth a million? And I guess just to be able to ask themselves some of those questions. And sometimes I think it's probably important for you not to go ask your closest friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some of those things. Because sometimes your friends just want to keep you there. Excuse me. They, uh, they want to be close to you. They don't want to lose you. And so they, they tend to want to protect you. And so I think just kind of ask yourself at some point, if you, I guess this is the best thing for you is um, we tend to, even if we have an idea of where we want to go, we tend to not ask for directions. Uh, we tend to say, I know how to get to Universal Studios, right, from here. Right. And we just take random lefts and rights. We make emotional decisions typically in our lives and say, well, I'm going to try to one day, someday, hopefully attempt to become this. And those are a lot of non-definites. And I think if you start asking those questions of the people that have been where you want to be and say, hey, tell me, give me some information on how do I get there? But I think first of all, you got to really start asking yourself, do I really even want to be there? Like, is there going to be something, what is the purpose of me being there? Because right. I think if you don't ask those questions, if you just kind of go along and you say, okay, I'll go to school because my parents said so. I went yeah. to this other thing and I, beca I became the manager. I applied for this position because my wife said so, or my boss said I should. I think for you to really sit down and analyze um, what is your purpose in life, to be able to get that. And that aha moment for me was when I started really asking, you know, and I think this is the part for me, the realization was, Happiness is not entertainment. And I think most people in the world believe that happiness is entertainment. Happiness is peace. Yes. And knowing that I could wake up in the morning and not feel guilty. Exactly. Because I've done the things that I felt like I was meant to do. Um, I answered the phone call and I, I serve people and I help people. And when we get that part of it done, when we when we live our lives in such a way that it's not for ourselves, when we're when you don't feel guilty. And I think what happens for most people, they feel a little bit of guilt because they're not living up to the standard they can live at. They're not achieving at the level they can achieve at. Um, they're holding back. They're not applying for things that they want to. They maybe didn't go become the astronaut, right. uh, whatever it was that they needed to do. And I think when you when you do all those things, you get to the point that you feel just 100% at peace. And I think that's the goal for everybody is find out what's going to bring you the most amount of peace and, uh, and go do that. Perfect. Well, I thank you so much for your time, Tom. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Uh, this, is, this has been a great talk. I do appreciate it. Hey, this is Nick Moore, your host. I understand that time is life, which is why I'm so grateful that you would take the time to listen to Forbidden Fruit Podcast. It's something that I do not take lightly. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, please share this with a friend. You can also show your support by downloading, following, or subscribing to the podcast, as well as leaving a review on Apple Podcast. Don't forget to turn on your notifications so you don't miss an episode. Find me on Twitter at podcast underscore fruit. I would love to hear from you. And like always, until then, be tempted.